Well, if you haven't already, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 that Hans read for us just a moment ago. Our text, of course, is going to be verses 5 to 25 in this first chapter. It's a story about a, a couple without a child. It's also a story about an angel with a message. It's a story about a man without a voice and a wife or a woman with a secret. And it, it's a story that leaves all of us as a people with a choice. The outline is in the back of your bulletin. We're going to just follow the story as it unfolds. There are five points that we'll look at. We'll look at the ordinary circumstances, the profound encounter, the telling response, the dramatic consequence, and the untold secret. And as is our custom, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin, all right? Well, Father, we believe that your word is authoritative and inerrant and sufficient. And we believe because it tells us so that through it you grant us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So would you in these moments give us ears to hear that we may be complete and equipped, lacking in nothing. As we prayed last week, as we acknowledge, we are prone to wander. And so we would ask that through the preaching of your word you would drive the dark of doubt away. We believe, but we ask you to help our unbelief. Use me in these moments as you see fit. It's in the name of Jesus and for the sake of his church I ask these things. Amen. And amen. Well, the circumstances of the story that Luke opens his gospel with are ordinary. And I want you to hang with me as I explain why I put it that way. It took place on any other day in the midst of the reign of King Herod. It was actually toward the end of his reign. He reigned from 37 to 4 BC. It happened on a day like any other day in which the people of God awakened to experience. They knew that they would be experiencing the oppression of Rome. And it was a day like any other day in which they also understood that they would be expressing their ongoing desire and need for uh, salvation and deliverance by the hand of the promised and yet long-awaited Messiah. The story itself involves an ordinary elderly couple. The King James actually says they were well stricken with years. They were different from many of those around them. They were faithful. Right? They were devoted to fulfilling the law of God. They were, um, they were desiring to seek and to please the Lord. Their character and their morals were such that they were considered blameless and above reproach. And yet, they were ordinary sinners needing forgiveness and salvation from a Savior. 
They were set apart from others around them by the fact that he, Zechariah, was a priest and Elizabeth was the daughter of Aaron. So they were doubly blessed. But the reality was that Zechariah was simply one of 18,000 priests who had been divided up into 24 divisions who would take turns and a couple of weeks a year serve at the temple. And while Zechariah had been determined through the casting of lots to serve in this particular capacity on this particular afternoon, and it was something that he could only do once in his lifetime, it was still a ritual that happened twice a day, every day. And while it was an honor for him, while, it was, while he was at the height of his career on this particular afternoon, because nobody else, if you weren't a priest, you couldn't serve in this capacity, and many priests wouldn't be chosen over the course of their lifetime. So in some sense, of course, he was set apart, but the fact that he had to change clothes and put on a robe to symbolize a purity that he didn't have says that he was a sinner like everybody else in need of forgiveness and a Savior. And of course, this ordinary place or these ordinary circumstances are solidified when we discover that Zechariah and Elizabeth were unable to have children. Their position and their status, their, their moral uprightness, their seeking after the Lord and fulfilling and devotion to fulfilling the law hadn't earned them the blessing of having their quiver full. It also hadn't kept the disgrace of being childless away. Elizabeth, like other women, experienced infertility, and they had lived long lives through this very painful, disappointing, and stressful, and sometimes lonely trial that exposed the frailty of the ordinary nature of their humanity. This was an ordinary, average couple living among ordinary, average people experiencing the ordinary average day to day and all of the ups and downs and joys and sadnesses and pleasure and pain, um, the acceptance and rejection, prosperity and adversity and the ease and the suffering of those days. And I believe Luke begins the gospel there because we can identify with them. They're a couple that we all can identify with. And it's in the midst of that ordinary day that Zechariah has a profound encounter. He's put, put the garb on. He's walked into the holy place. He's placing incense on the altar of incense as he prays. 
And he's praying for those who are outside, praying as well, praying again for their deliverance and their salvation. And the people outside the holy place are watching the smoke as it rises, and they're, they're, they're encouraged that what he is offering on their behalf is acceptable to the Lord. And as he does that, in the midst of that, again, ordinary twice daily prayer, Gabriel appears. Just as he had done with Daniel, and just as he would do with Mary that we'll find out next week. And unlike those today who claim that their encounters with angels left them warm and fuzzy and happy and excited and nostalgic, Zechariah sees Gabriel and he's not only troubled, but he's attacked with terror. And he can imagine, he falls to the ground in the fetal position and covers his head and his eyes because of the sheer brilliance that the, that a, the angel Gabriel exudes. And that's why Gabriel begins with the phrase, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But it's what he says that follows that, that really makes things interesting. Because he says, don't be afraid, for your prayer has been answered. And the natural question that comes is, what prayer or which prayer? And the answer to that question has, has a couple of different answers, has been answered a couple of different ways uh, over uh, history. Uh, based on Gabriel's next statement, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John, it's commonly believed that Zechariah had offered a prayer for Elizabeth to be pregnant. I love how Philip Ryken actually describes this. It's, it's a very believable scene. He says, we can imagine what might have passed between Zechariah and Elizabeth before he went into the holy place. Don't forget to pray, she might have said, not daring to finish her request, for fear that it would sound too foolish. Yes, dear. Her husband would have answered, smiling sadly and kissing her on the forehead. I'll remember. So he could have been an answer to that prayer. But it also, there are others who believe that due to how the prayer continues, or how, um, how Gabriel continues, that the prayer he would have been praying would have been a prayer on behalf of the people of Israel, the people of God. That was why it was there. The lot had been chosen. He was doing something that he would never again do, so he was probably fully devoted to that task. And so he would have been praying for deliverance and salvation of the people. That's what he would have been sent in to do. And even though the the word there for prayer, it is singular. I, I believe it's not an either-or situation, but it's both and. Both prayers were answered. It's very possible, well, and we read in the text, because Zechariah heard Gabriel say, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. So his mind probably went back to, it's, it's, possible that his mind went back to a prayer he had once prayed for her but had stopped. It was a prayer that he had prayed long ago but was no longer praying and because of their age and because they, she had not become pregnant. And so finally it was just, well, it's, 
it's just beyond that time. So he stopped. But he would have been tracking with Gabriel as he was speaking. It would have been a hesitant tracking. But he would have been listening and because the idea of, of joy and gladness being experienced by not only himself but his wife and the joy and gladness of other people in, in their community because of her pregnancy, it would have been wonderful to have experienced because everybody knew the hardship that they had gone through and everybody knew the, the fingers of judgment that would have been pointed in their direction as if they were responsible for their lack of children due to some sin. And so his ears have perked up and, and even when Gabriel says, Next, for he will be great before the Lord. You can imagine just that glim, glimmer of hope. Finally. And he's going to be great. But notice that Gabriel continues. And as he does, I believe Zechariah's mind would have begun to shift away from that past prayer for a child to the present prayer for deliverance. Gabriel says, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. His son John was going to be a prophet. And he wasn't going to be just any prophet. He was to stay away from strong drink. It could have been wine, beer, and anything, but just alcohol, period, because the Spirit wasn't simply going to rest upon him as it, as it did, as he did on uh, prophets of the past, but the Spirit was going to dwell within him and fill him from within Elizabeth's womb. And so there, was, there wasn't to be any confusion about what it is John would be saying. So he wanted to make sure that he wasn't being influenced by the alcohol and that everybody would know he was being influenced by the Spirit because he was to fulfill the role as forerunner to the one who would provide that deliverance and salvation, the promised long-awaited Messiah. If you remember... When we studied through the prophet Malachi, the Lord had said he was going to renew the covenant that, that the people of God had profaned through their mixed marriages. And, and through those marriages, they had trampled, uh, trampled on the covenant by taking on foreign wives, and they had set themselves at odds against God, but they had also set themselves at odds with their children because of their disobedience to the Lord, and so through Malachi, the Lord had said, I'm going I'm to send Elijah, and he's going to announce the renewal, and not just the renewal of the covenant, but the fulfillment of the covenant. And he's going to call people to repent, and through, through him, people are going to turn back and repent and turn back to God, and fathers are going to be turned back to their children because that covenant is extended to them. He is going to make these things right in these relationships because God has always been faithful to do his part, and now 400 years later, having been silent, he says, I'm going to do your part as well. 
And so he's announcing through Gabriel that this is all going to take place, and it's John that is going to be that one in the power of Elijah. It's going to be his son who is going to come and prepare the way and call the people to obedience and and to repent and to obedience and to look to the one to whom the the word points, To, to the one that would provide that salvation and deliverance who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that that joy that they would experience and that the many would experience, that remnant would experience, was not just a joy for a mother who would now have a child, but it was a a joy for a people who would have the Savior that they needed. Though the Lord tarried, His word would be fulfilled in its time. Because he works all things together for the good of those who, who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, having heard that good news, you would expect Zechariah to burst into doxology like Paul does. But he doesn't. He actually gives us a very telling response. He responds with a question and it that question exhibits a very significant level of doubt. He says, how shall I know this? How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So Zechariah is in the presence of Gabriel. He's heard Gabriel's voice who's speaking on behalf of the Lord. But that wasn't enough for Zechariah. He needed a sign too. He needed, a, he needed something other than what he had already been given, and we ask why. And one commentator said, well, when our eyes are on our problems, we will not receive God's Word, we will not hear His promises, and we will fail to believe or trust God's power. We will not remember God's Word and how it applies to us. That's that picture of that quarter. So focused on the problem. So focused on the problem at hand that we have Zechariah, who was a righteous man, a priest, standing in the temple, worshiping, praying on behalf of the people of God, and all the while he's not expecting the Lord to do what he's asking him to do. His years of disappointment had turned his vision, it had become very myopic. And it was so short-sighted that all he could see was his problem. And he didn't even, he didn't even believe that, that God was able to do what God is able to do. It was even too big for God to handle. And as I mentioned to the children, he had even forgotten that Abraham and Sarah had been in the exact same position. Not by coincidence. So in the end, he was doing the exact opposite of what we learned in our study of Hebrews. He was walking by sight and not by faith. And we empathize with him. We we even sympathize with him. We understand. And yet, at the same time, his response was wrong. And we know that because of the dramatic consequence. 
In verse 19, Gabriel answers. He says, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Gabriel says, you didn't believe my words and more importantly, you didn't believe God's words. And this good news is going to be fulfilled whether you believe it or not because your rejection of them does not make them false. Your acceptance of them does not make them true. They are true. These things will happen. And you know, we focus on the fact that he couldn't speak, but later on in verse 62 that we'll see in a couple weeks, we see... Um, others giving him signs, there's a very real possibility that he was both unable to hear and speak. So we got complete silence for the duration of the pregnancy. And we say, why? Why would that happen? Or, or what, what purpose could be served? And there were three that I was thinking about this week. First, of course, he didn't believe Gabriel. He didn't believe what he had said, and so he's now left, because he can't speak and he can't hear, he's now left in his own head to wrestle with the fact that he had doubted the Lord and had doubted his word. He can't work that out with anybody else, and so he's got this long time of silence to deal with the fact, and, and hopefully will learn the lesson of the importance of trusting in the Lord and in his word. But secondly, since he didn't believe what he said, he also, just imagine this, he didn't believe the angel, so now he's not going to share what would have been the most important news in over 400 years. And he's going to have to sit in silence and wait for things to unfold. And of course, thirdly, the Lord also, I think, used the time because we read throughout the Gospels that was a, a common refrain was the time had not yet come. You know, the Lord had determined to reveal the mystery of the Gospel in His own time and so the silence serves that purpose that it was not yet time for people to know who was coming. And of course, Zechariah comes out and they can tell from looking at him. I mean, the people were worried because usually the, the priests would go in and offer the incense and would pray and would come out and offer the Arianic blessing, but he's tarried in there, right? He's still in there with Gabriel and he comes out and it's later than expected and he's probably, it's, it's written all over his face, not to mention the fact that he can't talk and offer that blessing. And the people realize he's seen a vision. He's had a dramatic and profound encounter, but they just don't know of what kind. And that, of course, leads us to the untold secret, because having fulfilled the responsibilities, he and Elizabeth go home. And when they arrive home, she conceives, just as Gabriel said she would. 
but rather than announce it to family and friends, she keeps it to herself. And very quietly in her own space, in her own way, she doesn't doubt the Lord, but she worships. She praises the Lord. And and we say, well, why did she not say anything? And, And again, there are two or three possibilities. We have to think that over the years, because the fingers had been pointed at her, because there had been people who were judgmental toward her, and due to the childlessness, again, that would have come because... At that time, if you were childless, it it had to be the result of some sin that the Lord was disciplining you for. And so she probably didn't want to add any further ridicule that she had already experienced because now she would be saying, I'm pregnant when she was well beyond mother years. Or she also could have been holding it to herself because she didn't want to add any more shame that had already been placed upon her if she had announced that she was pregnant and then lost the baby. Or we, another possibility was that maybe Zechariah had, they had figured out a way to communicate and he shared with her what had happened and she was keeping it to herself because she didn't want to answer any questions because she didn't want Zechariah to be the priest who doubted God. But the truth is, we don't know. We don't know why exactly, but she did, she did worship. Her cup was overflowing. It wasn't just half full. And she began to worship the Lord because He had taken away her disgrace. And she had finally, He had finally answered her prayer. And we learned through that process that prayers are always answered. It's yes, no, and maybe wait. And so for them, for the two of them, it might have been, well, it, the timing just wasn't right, or you need to learn a lesson or two, or there's something better that the Father desires for you. Or even that there's always something more going on as far as God's redemptive plan is concerned. And He's got a reason for the timing that's present. But no matter what, they had prayed for a son and they were asked to wait. They prayed for salvation and deliverance and were asked to wait, but now those prayers are being answered. And so they prayed for a son, they're getting a prophet. And that prophet, John, he would be, Jesus would actually call him the greatest among those born of women. Far exceeding what they could have imagined as a son. And and that And that son, that prophet, was going to point and announce and point to the Lord Jesus. That promised, long-awaited Messiah. And God's word was going to be fulfilled in his time. And again, that's why Luke begins with the story. Right? He, he had taken all of those, he had taken you know, eyewitness accounts and he's, he's formulating his own logical explanation and, and his own logical gospel and he begins here. A story about a couple, right, without a child, an angel with a message, a, a man without a voice and a, and a woman with a secret. And we now have a choice. Because we've heard the story. And the choice is clear. Do we believe and trust in the Lord and His Word or not? 
That's the question laid before us through this story. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our fickle emotions, regardless of whether life is turning out the way we thought it would, uh, regardless of, of the deception and lies of the enemy in the world, Regardless of what others may do or say, and even in the midst of our, our pain and our suffering and our disappointment and our disillusionment and our suffering and hardships, the question we must ask is, are we going to believe the Lord and His Word or not? So I want to exhort us. I want to exhort us by asking, or just, just by sharing a few things. Right, God, through His Word, has said that the eternal Son took on flesh and dwelt among us. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and dwelt among us. And the exhortation is, believe in the incarnation and virgin birth. Right? God, through His Word, has said that Jesus would die and rise from the dead. The exhortation is, believe in the crucifixion and in the resurrection. God has said through His Word that no one comes to the Father but through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the exhortation is to believe that salvation is impossible apart from Jesus. God has said through His Word that Christ's passive and active work is sufficient for salvation for all who will believe and call upon His name. So the exhortation is for you and for me to believe that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. He has said through His Word that He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never leave me or forsake me. So... So regardless of our circumstances, the exhortation is remember that He loves you. Remember that He cares for you. Remember that He is with you and that nothing will set, separate you from Him and your salvation can never be lost. Believe it. He has said through His Word that He is working all things according to the counsel of His will and for our good. So believe that every experience, no matter how joyful or how painful it might be, He is using as a part of His redemptive plan. And He is using it as an instrument for your sanctification and my sanctification to conform us into the image of the Lord Jesus because that is His will for us. Believe it. And he has said through his word that Christ, is, Christ will return. He will make all things new. So believe. The exhortation is to believe that this world is temporary and we are but strangers and aliens. We're sojourners. And we are passing through, making our way to a heavenly home. And that heavenly home is a place in which He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death. There will be neither uh, mourning or crying or, or pain. Gone. Believe it. Just as sure as He came, He will come again. 
And brothers and sisters, I pray that we would not be silent. That we would proclaim that message. That we would always be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have. That we would proclaim the gospel of the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. It's foolish to some. And it's a stumbling block to others. But it's the power of God unto salvation for those who will believe. Believe it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.